Because uh, Cal and them are here today and speaking specifically about missions, we wanted to just kind of let the whole Sunday be about missions. And so today we're going to take a break from Galatians and we're going to be in Psalm 67. And so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and turn to Psalm 67. And if you just want to be prepared, you might just put a finger in Isaiah 40 because we're going to look at that and that's going to be a little bit longer passage that we're going to look there. And so it might be helpful if you have that, if you're using... The uh, white Bible's in front of you. I believe Isaiah 40 is on page 533. Um, And as we kind of begin, let me just start out. Uh, For God to be God, it means that he's most concerned about his glory. That's what it is to be God. Um, After all, whose glory should God be most concerned about? Yours, mine, someone in creation. Um, God is the one who created all things, spoke all things into creation. And so he is most concerned about his glory. And we see this truth in creation. In fact, in creation, when he makes man, we see in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that he makes man in his own image. And there's many things that that means, but one of the things that that means is that we were made to worship God. We were made to love the things that God loves and to want the things that God wants. And that means that we desire his glory. We want him to be glorified. He desires to be glorified, and because we've been made in his image, we want him to be glorified. Um, and in fact, Adam and Eve were then told to, to multiply, to fill the earth. And so the whole intent was that those who he made to glorify him were then to multiply and have more people who glorify God, that one day the entire earth would be full of image bearers of God, those who reflect his, gore, his glory, those who desire to see God glorified. And then, of course, we come to Genesis 3, and, and we, we know this story. Adam and Eve, at this point, they sin. And what we see is that they now desire their glory and not God's glory. In fact, they despise God's glory because they desire God, because they desire their glory. And um, at this moment, uh, they rebel against God, and it becomes so bad that all of humanity becomes corrupt that we see in Genesis 6 that God is now going to flood the earth. And so he floods the earth. Everyone is destroyed, but I believe eight people, Noah, his wife, and his kids, and and their wives. And so it appears that we kind of have a do-over. Genesis 1 didn't turn out so well because they sinned, so God's now starting back over, and we think, well, now maybe the earth will be full of God's glory, but by the time we get to Genesis 11, we come to the Tower of Babel, and what we see is that all the people of the world are gathered in one place, and they're building a tower for their glory. They don't want God's glory. They have no desire for God's glory. They want their name to be great. And so in great irony, we read that God comes down to their tower, and don't, don't miss that. In Genesis 11, God comes down to their tower that is supposed to be reaching up to him. And he disperses them. He changes their languages. This is where we get people of all tribes and nations and tongues and languages. And so this is where then he disperses the people. So at the end of Genesis 11, we have all of the world being filled with the people that God has made. And they're glorifying themselves and not God. And so it appears that God's plan to have a people for himself has been thwarted. Now, if you're one of those people who when you buy a book and you immediately read the end of the book, uh, some people do that because you kind of want to know how it ends. If we were to do that with the Bible, maybe we read Genesis 1 through 11 and we're kind of going, I'm not so sure if I want to keep reading this. So you go to the end and you read Revelation 21 and 22 and what you see is that God has a people and it fills all the heavens and all the earth 
And all these people are worshiping him and glorifying him. And so what we have is God's plan is fulfilled. He does obtain a people for his glory, that reflect his glory, his glory, that desire his glory. And so what happens between Genesis 11 and Revelation 21 and 22, that God does obtain a people for his glory. And that's what we're going to look at some today. And what we see is that in Genesis 12, God chooses a man named Abram. He later changes the name to Abraham, and he comes to him, and he gives him these promises. And so I want to read just Genesis 12 real quick. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so there's amazing blessings, amazing promises that God is giving to Abram at this moment. But I want to look at this last one. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, ultimately, that comes through Jesus Christ. God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross that whoever does believe in him would be forgiven, would be adopted into the family of God, and would have that eternal life. So ultimately, it's through Jesus. And guess what New Testament book explicitly talks about that? It's one we're studying, Galatians. And so in the next few weeks, especially as we go into Galatians 3, we're going to look at how Jesus does specifically fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. But what we also see is that God uses, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God uses his people as his instruments uh, to proclaim his glory among the nations. And so ultimately, all blessings come through Jesus, and God uses his people to proclaim that it is God who saves. It is God who has sent his son, Jesus Christ. And we see that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a psalm today, Psalm 67, which is a prayer of God's people for the glory of God to be made known among the nations. This is a psalm that was sung um, in the Old Testament by Israel, and it is just as relevant for us today that we pray this also today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the psalm, and then we'll pray afterwards. One thing that we do here is we, we stand when we read God's Word, so I encourage you to stand. We do this because we believe God's Word comes with the full authority and inspired by God, and so we do this as a way of honoring and respecting our Father in heaven. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for today. God, we're specifically looking at the fact that your name, your glory is going to the nations, to all people groups, to all tribes, to all tongues, to all languages. And God, we're, we're looking at that today in your word and how that comes about, Lord. And we have missionaries here specifically from another country sharing what God, what you are doing in this country. 
fulfilling this passage right here. And so, Lord, I pray, give us understanding. Lord, I pray that as we we read your word that we too would share in your desire that as we now because of our belief in you we share in your nature that God we would now have the same heart that you have and we would want your glory to be known in all the earth. God I pray that 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 conviction will come into our hearts and that it will grow more and more. Lord I pray that because of your word today we will desire to be more involved in missions locally and missions globally that we will look at how we are partnering with missionaries in other parts of the world and how we can be encouraging them and strengthening them and be part of your gospel going to all the ends of the earth, that your name would be proclaimed, that the nations would be glad, singing for joy, because they have heard of your Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. So, Father, be with us today. Enlarge our vision, enlarge our minds, enlarge our hearts today, that we would see the world as you see it and that we would have the heart that you have, that your gospel would go to the nations. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at five truths about God's mission, about missions today. So we're just going to look at the psalm, and we're going to see what does it tell us about missions, and we're going to see five things. In verse 1, we see God's people, they're asking God to pour out His grace upon them. They want His blessing. They want the radiance of God's glory to shine directly upon them. They want to feel the warmth of God's blessing and presence wrapped around them, holding tight. Now, this is one of those rare days in Washington. The sun is out still for a while. And so, if we're lucky, we'll go out and we'll feel the rays of the sun coming and warming us today. That's what Israel wanted to feel. The blessings of God around them. But why? Why do they want these blessings? Now, those who advocate a prosperity gospel, they would say that God blesses us because we deserve our best life now. God wants us to have big houses, nice cars, large 401ks, fat bank accounts, so we can enjoy the good life now because, because we deserve it. But is that what Israel is asking for? Are they asking for God's blessing so they can have a better life? No, that's, that's not what the text says. Look at verse 2. In verse 2, we see the word that. The word that indicates that we're about to read a purpose uh, for, for Israel's prayer here. They're going to read, why is Israel asking for the blessing of God? And really what we're going to see is the whole purpose of the prayer right here. And what we read is, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Israel is not asking for God's blessing so they can have a better life now. They want His grace. They want His blessing so, they, uh, so that God will be made known among the nations. It's about missions here. And particularly what we see is that it's God's saving power that Israel wants the nations to know about. It's not just that there's a God, but there's a God who saves. That's what they want to know about. So we see two truths here. Number one, Missions is about depending upon God's grace. I've never met a missionary who believes the spread of the gospel hinges on their strength. I've never talked to a single missionary who they believe that after spending years in the mission field, they never come home and say, the only way the gospel goes forth is because of me. The great missionary David Livingston, he said this, without Christ, not one step. With Christ, anywhere 
with God's grace, the gospel goes forth. And that's what Israel is praying for. And that's what God has, um, and that's how what, what we see also in the New Testament. We go to Matthew 28, right after Jesus tells the disciples, go into all the nations, baptizing them, telling them about Jesus, teaching them about Jesus, making disciples. Then what does he say? And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. God gives grace. He says, I will be with you. I will go with you. You do not do this alone. And in fact, in, in, fact, in Acts chapter 1, where we see... Uh, the growth of the church before the disciples, before the apostles leave the upper room where they've been praying, God equips them and gives them the Holy Spirit that they'd go out with the Spirit of God in them to proclaim the gospel of God so the nations would come to know God. God pours out His grace upon His people that we would proclaim His glory and that people would be saved. That's what Israel wants here. Missions is an activity of grace. It's not about our power. It's not about our strength. It's about depending upon God. Trying to do missions in our strength is like driving a car without gas or trying to walk without legs. It just doesn't work. Missions is dependent upon God's grace. Our neighbors, our coworkers, um, the people at the park that we meet, the people in the grocery stores that we meet, those on the other side of the world, the only way they will experience God's salvation is by the grace of God. So we are to echo Israel's prayer. God, give grace. It is to be our prayer. God, give grace. We, we require your grace. We need your grace as we share the gospel. God, we need grace that we would do that. And God, we need grace that you would come upon the people that we talk to, the people that we share the gospel with, that you would awaken their eyes, that they would see your beauty, your glory, and that they would believe in your son, Jesus Christ. Missions is about the grace of God. Number two, missions is about the gospel being proclaimed to the nations. Missions is not just telling people about God, but it's telling them about the one true God, the God who sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross that whoever believes in him would be forgiven, would be justified, would be adopted into the family of God, would be transformed by the power of God, would live for God and have the eternal inheritance of God that they would live with God forever. That's, that's what we go and we proclaim. When I was in college, I had one of my favorite jobs ever. And I worked a lot of jobs. My favorite job ever was delivering flowers. It was amazing. So I had this cool white van that I drove around, said some flower thing on it, and had flowers on it. Um, but I love delivering flowers. You know why? Everyone is happy to see you. Like, it is amazing. And, and so I, everywhere I went, you know, you take flowers and you're brightening people's day. No one ever slammed the door. Like, you go with flowers, people open the door, they're like, oh, those for me? Yes, they are, and they're filled with happiness, and it's amazing. And so I love that job. I also got a ton of free flowers. My wife had an amazing amount of flowers that was given to her during that time, so she was quite happy, too. Um, but listen, as Christians, we, we don't give flowers. That's not our message, because flowers, they're beautiful, and they're alive today, and they're dead tomorrow. We don't offer a message that just temporarily cheers people up. We share the gospel of Jesus. We share the gospel that gives life, that gives eternal life. And that life starts when we believe in Jesus Christ. We share the greatest news in all the world that every single person on this planet needs to hear and to believe in order to be saved. We give the message of hope and life. That's what we do as we go forth in missions. We're giving hope and life. 
We're pointing people to the one true God. When you look at the world and when you look at the different religions that people believe, majority of religions, they believe in some type of God who desiring their people to work to appease their happiness, to appease this God. The majority of religions are based around this works-based salvation where if you do so much, you can appease this God. You can appease them and they'll give you rain. You can appease this God and he will give you crops. You, you can appease this God, he'll give you a car, and he'll give you whatever it is that you ask for. So you're always trying to appease him. You're always trying to satisfy him. Let me ask you this. What God is worthy of all honor and glory if I can pay him back? If my works satisfy God, how big is this God? Just think about that. Is that God worthy of all worship and honor? If you have your Bibles, Isaiah, Isaiah 40. And I just want to read a section out of this starting in verse 12. I think it's page 533 if you are using the, the white Bibles that we have there. And what I want to do, I just want to read this passage. I love Isaiah 40. And as I read it, just think, this is the God that we serve. Just think, this is the God that we proclaim. So just think about what this psalm has to say about the God that we gather every day to worship. It starts in verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him, shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket or accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver and chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out their host? This is the stars. Who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong and power, not one is missing. This is just one passage. There's many passages in God's word that just exalt the God that we worship. Now this passage, it's not, the purpose is not to show necessarily the insignificance of man, but rather the greatness of our God. He holds the waters in his hands. The 
The dust, the sands of the seashore are like just dust to him. Just dust. As you wipe your coffee table and you gather the dust in your hand on your rack, that's what he does as he grabs the sands of the seashore. Just the dust of him. He's a God that his hand spans all of creation. The entire galaxy and universe. He's the one who, you take all the trees of Lebanon. Lebanon is, is known for its forest. They would take the trees and build, um, build the temples and build the kingdoms out of these trees. And say, you take all these trees that won't even create a spark before this God. This is the God that we worship. Is this a God that we can satisfy, that we can appease with our own works? No. How do you please a God who sits above creation on a throne? You don't. And that's what's amazing. It's this God who saves because we can't save ourselves. It's this God who sends His Son as grace to come to this earth, to die on a cross that we who believe in Him would be saved, would be declared righteous, would be adopted into His family, would be given new life. It's this great and awesome and glorious and holy God that we declare in missions. This is the God that we proclaim. We proclaim a God who does not say, try and come to me, but a God who says, he has come to us through his son Jesus that we would have life. This is the God that we proclaim. Let's go to the next truth. Next truth is, missions is about the nations worshiping God. Look at verses 3 and 5. The exact same words. 3 and 5, same thing. What we read is, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. So, so what's happening here in verse 2, he says, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. What does that look like? If God's name is proclaimed among the nations, what does that look like? Verse 3, it means that peoples will praise God. If God's name is proclaimed, peoples will praise God. This is the heart of God's people which means this is our heart also. When we proclaim the gospel, people come and they praise God. So if you are here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, this also describes what we do. We praise God. Because we have now been saved that we would love the things that God loves. That we would honor the things that God loves. That we would have the heart that God has. And remember, to be God is to be most concerned with His glory because He is holy, He is glorious, He is almighty and all-powerful. And therefore He creates us that we would share in that. And so therefore as He saves us, we are then saved that we would desire to see Him glorified in all of creation. That is why we go into the nations and proclaim the gospel. This is what John Piper says. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Which means missions is a temporary activity that we do during this life only. Because during our time here, we know that all who are born in this world are sinful and that we desire our glory and we despise God's glory. And so it's by missions that we go, we share the gospel that rebels are transformed into worshipers of God. And so because we worship God, 
We want His glory to be made known. Therefore, we go into the nations to those who do not worship God. We share the gospel of God that they would believe in God and become worshipers of God and that they then would also go into the nations going to those who do not worship God, giving the gospel of God that then they would believe and worship the God that we see in the Bible. This is what missions does. Missions takes place because worship doesn't. But missions is fueled by worship. It's because we worship God, because we love Him, because He has sent His Son and has changed us and transformed us that we would be like Him, that now we go and share His glory, that other people would also share in His glory. One more thing to point out here. Missions is not about how many people worship God, but all people's worshiping God. Now note that. It's not about all people worshiping God, but are not about how many people worship God, but all people's worshiping God. Some people, and maybe you've said this, or maybe you've heard people say this, why do we need to be concerned with other parts of the world? I'm sure that Hans had probably heard this before. Why do we need to be concerned about missions in Africa? Aren't there enough unsaved people here in 98503 in Thurston County? Don't we need to be focusing more here? If you've been in church, you've probably heard that. I've heard that many times. And the answer is yes and no. Yes, we do need to be intentional here where we live. God has saved us, that we would be filled with the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that filled Jesus, that He would go and proclaim the Gospel, fills us that we would proclaim the Gospel wherever we are. So yes, here we do need to proclaim the Gospel. But what is God's goal? Is God's goal that only America knows Christ? Is God's goal that only one people know Him and glorify Him? What we see all throughout the Bible is that God is getting a people from all peoples. If, we, um, if you look at chapter, or John chapter 10, 16, I'll, I'll read it to you. It says, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So he's speaking to Jews and saying, I have other sheep that are not Jews. And so the gospel needs to go to them. When they hear the gospel, they will respond and they will come so that there will be one people. So the idea is that the gospel is to go out beyond just one people group to all people groups because God has other sheep. And when these other sheep hear the gospel, they will come. And what we see in Revelation, I think we read this last week, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, we see the fulfillment of this. We see what it's going to look like when Christ returns. And we read in Revelation 7 that there will one day be a great multitude that no one could number from every nations, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb that's the point it's not about just all one people but it's about all peoples nations tribes languages and tongues coming to believe in jesus christ so because we've been given the heart that god has we don't just want our people group to know god we do want them but we have to go to the nations because god desires people from all peoples all nations all tribes, all languages. God's plan of redemption is that all peoples would worship. Now, that doesn't mean that all people will be saved. 
That's not what it means. It doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved, but there will be people from every people group. There will be people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every language. There is glory in being praised by a certain group of people. If you can win the favor of one people group, that is a good thing. You might become very popular. You might become president if you can win the favor of a people group. But to win the favor of every single people group, that is a glorious thing. And that is the God that we worship. That he has come that all peoples would worship him. So let, yes, let us go to our neighborhoods. Let's share the gospel. Let's do it fervently and boldly. And just as equally fervently and boldly, let us go to the nations to share the gospel. Next truth. Missions is about proclaiming a message of joy. We've already said we share the greatest message that there is. And here in verse, verse 4, we see that it's this message, it's this gospel that makes the nations glad and sing for joy. Now the words here, they picture exuberant praise. And so I, I was sharing this with my son today, so he helped me out with this. I said, Ben, what does this look like? So he said, well, this is what it looks like, Dad. Looks like going to Boomshaka, Limeberry, going to Great Wolf Lodge, spending the night, going down water slides, going to a Seahawks game, and all of that in one day. He's like, that's what's being expressed here. I said, all right, Ben, that sounds good. I think, I think that captured the heart of my son pretty good. Um, but the point is, the gospel fills us with joy. Like, like, we don't go with the depressing message. Do you know that? Did you ever kind of wonder if that's the way it feels? Or that's the way it seems that the church thinks about it? Like, missions, do we really have to do that? Like, is anybody really going to like this? It, it makes the nations glad that they sing for joy. We don't offer promises. We don't offer a God who promises to save but unable to deliver. That's like someone writing you a check when there's no money in their bank account. That's not what we do. We're not writing. We're not telling people about a God. You should believe in him and he's got no plan on saving you. Good luck. Like that's not what we're going out with. We're going out to the nations with a God who has sent forth his son to die on a cross. So with great confidence, we go, this God saves. And he's so passionate about saving, he sent his son to die so that all who believe in him would be justified, declared righteous, so that they could live with him forever. So notice here, so in our passage, he's going to tell us why the gospel fills the nations with joy and gladness. So, so look at it. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Okay, why? Why do they sing for joy? What makes them glad? For. So again, the word for is going to tell us why. It's going to answer the question. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. It, it's because of our God. That's why. The nations are glad and they sing for joy because of the God that we proclaim. Because we see two things here about this God. Number one, he's a righteous shepherd. Number, or he's a righteous judge. And number two, he's a sovereign shepherd. We see that. Uh, let all the pe- um, you judge the peoples with equity. He's righteous. He's a judge and he does it perfectly. What we have here in the Bible is a God who he will punish every single sin. Not one sin will go unpunished by this God. That's how righteous he is. If we had a judge here today and he let murderers off, 
We'd say, well, you're not righteous, you're not good, but what if he condemned every murder, but he only let one murder off? Would he be a good judge? No, he'd be an unrighteous judge. He would not be good. We wouldn't want him to sit on the seat because he would not be just. We want a God who punishes all wrongs. And in the Bible, we see that there is a God who is so zealous for holiness and righteousness that he will judge every single sin. And because of that, all of humanity is destined for hell. But it's this also the same God who judges all sin, who then sends his son to come to earth to die on a cross. And a few weeks ago, we were in the five solas. We looked at Romans 3. And Romans 3 talks about the God who sends his son. So the son would be a propitiation for God. Everyone remember propitiation? It's that really big word. What does it mean? You guys are so good. Wrath absorber. So the son would come as a substitutionary atonement, meaning standing in our place, taking our sins upon himself so that he would absorb God's wrath. Because God can't just sweep our sins underneath the rug. He can't just sweep them underneath the rug and say, you know what? It's okay, just come into my heaven. That's all right. But he punishes all of our sin on Jesus Christ so that on the cross Jesus absorbs the full wrath of God so that by grace through faith in Christ we could be declared righteous by God so that then we can come into his kingdom and the day that we meet God the day that we come into his presence we won't come shaking going will he accept me will he let me in but we know he is a just God, and all of our sin has been punished upon Jesus Christ at the cross. We have been given the righteousness of God. Therefore, with great confidence and boldness, and probably trembling and holy and in fear, we still come before him because he's a majestic God, and we bow down before him, and he gathers us in his arms and say that we will be with him forever in his presence. That's what we proclaim. It's this righteous judge that we can go to the kingdom and say, look, we believe in this God and you do not have to fear death because he's righteous and all sins will be have been atoned for Jesus Christ for those who believe in him. But second, he's also the sovereign shepherd. Before creation, he planned that one day he would send his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross. In creation, he sovereignly guides all of history to the point that one day his son would be born and that one day his son would be arrested and that one day his son would be crucified and then sovereignly bringing about that three days later his son rises again and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And all those who believe in God, he sovereignly guides as a good shepherd comforting and caring, taking care of us, protecting just as a shepherd does his sheep from the wolves. The Lord Jesus protects his sheep, guiding them to the day that he will return so that we will be with him forever. We do not have a deistic God, a God of deism where he creates us and is separate from us, or a God who says, okay, I'll save them, but I really want nothing to do with him. That's kind of like the clockmaker. He makes the clock, he winds it up, and he walks away, and the clock does its own thing, and he doesn't care about it really anymore. What we have is a personal God. He's a shepherd, and he cares for us, and he walks with us. He takes care of us. He comforts us. This is the message that we go. So many people, they believe in an impersonal God. They believe in, in either a, an object like the sun or some other part of creation. They want to worship that. 
something that has no personality, something that has no power in and of itself. But we present a God from the gospel that he created all of these things, that we would know him, that we would love him. And he would sovereignly guide us through life, walking with us, guiding us into his presence for all of eternity. This is why the nations are glad. This is why they sing for joy. This is a God like none other. This is a God who sits above the earth and yet is with us at every moment of every day. He's transcendent and he's imminent. He's near. There's no other God that is transcendent above all things and imminent near us in everything also. Lastly, missions is about God blessing his people for the purpose of the nations worshiping God. The psalm begins by God's people asking for his grace and blessing. That's how it begins. And it ends by God's people depending upon God's grace and blessing. And the purpose behind the blessing is that God would be worshipped among the nations. That's the whole purpose. We, we, want, we need your blessing. We need your grace. So your glory will go out. In verse 6 we read, The earth has yielded its increase. Now, now Israel is an agricultural people. And therefore they live and survive on, on everything that they grow. So when the land produces a great harvest, it is good for them. If it produces no harvest, then they starve. And so here God has produced a great harvest for them. And the harvest appears to do two things. Number one, it gives them confidence that God will continue to bless them. After all, we continue to read and it says, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And to fear God means to rightly know God and rightly respond to God. That's what it is to, to fear God. When you read Proverbs, Proverbs is about having a fear of God. It's about rightly knowing who this God is and rightly responding to Him. Or to say it another way, the fear of God is having a saving knowledge of God that results in the worship of God. But what we have here is, is they have, they've had this harvest and it's bountiful. They go, because of this harvest, because God has blessed us here, we know that he will continue to bless us for the sake of his glory going to the nations. But it appears that the harvest is also the means in which God is blessing them to reach the nations. So not only is it evidence that God will continue to give them grace, but it's also the means in which he's blessing them. God has blessed them with material blessings that will be used for the proclamation of God's glory to the, to the nations. So what we understand and we, we see throughout the Old Testament and we also see in the New Testament is God blesses his people as a means of proclaiming the gospel to the nations. This is one of the reasons God blesses us with things. He blesses us with cars. He blesses us with houses, with saving accounts. So we would leverage them for the gospel. In the book of Acts, it chronicles the growth and the spread of the church. We see believers selling possessions for the glory of God. Let me give two instances. Acts chapter 2, verse 45. It says, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So what that looks like is, is someone over here says, Hey, I have a need. Someone over here says, Hey, I have a car. I'm going to sell that to meet that need. That's what that looks like. It's meeting the needs within the church, and it's meeting the needs with, outside the church. Acts 4, 36 and 37. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, 
sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So here's a guy. He sells his field and says, here, use this for the kingdom. Just take it. Whatever you need. If this helps spread more mission trips, if this helps the gospel go to other nations, if this helps more churches in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, whatever it is, let, it be, let the money here that came from this field be used for the advance of the gospel. And so here in America, we need to wrestle with this. We're very rich in comparison to people in other parts of the world. Even our poor are considered quite rich compared to people in other parts of the world. So let's leverage these blessings that God has given us for his glory. What does that look like? What does that mean? It can mean many things. It could mean rather than going on a vacation to pick your spot, Hawaii. I like Hawaii. Um, we go to Ecuador and we serve and love on kids in orphanages. It might mean we, we visit the Hans in Cameroon, or we, we go to other missionaries that we support, and we encourage them and we help them. It might mean we send other believers money that would help with whatever expenses they might have, or we send money to various needs Christian has to other parts of the world. And we've done this recently. We sent money to missionaries in Poland. Remember that? A couple weeks ago, a month ago? Is that January? I think that was January. We took money... We did an extra offering to send it to our missionaries in Poland. Two, two weeks ago, I think it is here, we did an extra offering. One of our local churches, Roots, the church that also meets here and does music on Thursday nights, uh, they're going to Guatemala. In fact, they're in Guatemala right now. They had a whole bunch of extra expenses. So we said, we want to help with that. We want to make sure all the things that you need get down there so you are as successful as you can, that you can present the gospel and show the love of Christ to them. And so we did an extra offering, and we, we did that. Let's leverage the things that God has given us for His glory. We've been blessed and the blessing isn't meant so that we would just build bigger houses and have more things and just do all the projects and all the things that we want. Those aren't bad. I don't want to, I'm not casting on the houses and cars and all those things are bad, that you should never buy anything new, although I think used might be better now. But how do we use the very blessings, the very things that God has given us to maximize His kingdom going forth in the nations? What has He given us that we can begin using for his glory. I want to encourage you. How are you leveraging what God has given you for his glory? How are you using his blessings, the physical and maybe other things, to proclaim his greatness? The question is not, does God want you and me involved in missions? That's not the question. The question is, is where and to whom will we go? That's the question. It's where and to whom? Now, oftentimes at this moment, there's, there's objections. There's usually like at least three, so I'll give three. There's more probably, but, but I'll give at least three types of camps of people. The first camp, I'm not a professional. I'm not a professional Christian. I'm not a professional missionary. I'm not a pastor. I can't go to another nation. I can't learn their language. I want to know what to do. I'm, I'm not a professional. That, that's meant for the people who are paid to do that. It's one excuse. The second camp is, I'm too busy thinking. You might, you might be these people. You might have heard these people. Uh, you're really good at leading Bible studies. You're really good about talking to other believers about God. You're really good about listening to podcasts. In fact, you might have like 30 different podcasts of Christian sermons and speakers that you listen to. The thing is, you never actually go. You listen, you talk, but you never do. 
Francis Chan, a pastor down in, I think in San Francisco now, gave this incredible illustration, which is just stuck in my head ever since he first gave it. And so I'm going to, to steal it and give it to you now. Uh, but he, he told his daughter one time, I need you to go to your room and clean your room. And I, I love this illustration. So she, she, gets, she gets her friends, and they go to her room, and then a while later they come back out. And they go, Dad, we have developed a plan to clean our room. In fact, we have developed the best plan to clean a room. We actually have a strategy that will make cleaning the room the most efficient way possible. In fact, we're even thinking about writing a book on how people can clean the room so they can be more efficient, more strategic in it. In fact, Dad, we studied so hard, I can tell you how to clean your room in Greek. Wouldn't you be impressed by that, Dad? But they never cleaned the room. The room's still messy. They have a plan. They have strategies. They have book, pro, they have book developments and publishers. But they don't actually clean the room. What if that's the American church in many ways? The command is, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We even put it just on our banners in the back so we won't miss it. We say it every single Sunday. Our mission is to make disciples who make disciples. And you know I'm not creative. Like, I'm not. We just take things from God's Word and we just want to say them as clearly as we can. We don't really need to improve on His Word. It's pretty good as it comes. It says, go make disciples. But what if we get busy just talking and never doing? What if that's where much of us are at this moment? So that's one, that's the second camp. The third one is, 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 is we just simply, why do we do this? And we're just not really convinced we need to share the gospel. I've met many people in church who just, I just don't do that. I just don't share the gospel. I don't see the need for it, or I'm just not gifted, or whatever reason, they just, they just don't do it, and they feel content with that. Well, the good thing is the solution is the same for every single person. The solution is the gospel, is that we'd come to just a greater understanding of who our God is and how he has saved us by the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, that we would be transformed and live for him. Because when we understand that our God created us, that we would share in his glory, experiencing his joy. And because of sin, we're separated from that. But, but through Jesus Christ, we are redeemed. That we would then once again love the things that God loves. And God loves most is his glory. And therefore, because we have been saved and transformed into his image, degree by degree by degree. That's what we read in 2 Corinthians 3. That every single day we're growing in our love for his glory more and more. And as we grow in his love for glory, that results in desiring his mission. Because worship fuels mission because people don't worship God. And so we, because we worship God, we desire to tell others about God that they would then know God and love God and worship God also. That reminds you of the first truth we came at today. Missions is about depending on God's grace. It is not about your skill. It's not about your strength. It has absolutely really nothing to do about your abilities at all. It, best example might be Jonah in the Old Testament. Remember Jonah? He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. God says go. He tries to go the other way. God gets a well, swallows him. 
kind of a weird, crazy story, spits him back up. Jonah now goes to Nineveh. He's afraid of what would swallow him next. So he goes to Nineveh. He still doesn't really want to preach the gospel. He does it reluctantly. But what happens? Greatest Old Testament revival in all the scriptures. All of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, which is the enemies of Israel. The capital of Nineveh comes to saving faith in God. They believe in God. They are saved and redeemed. It has nothing to do with Jonah's abilities. He doesn't even want to do it. But at that moment, he's being faithful. He's doing what God has called him to do. God calls us to go, not because of our abilities, not because of our strength, but because of his grace. And his grace is sufficient. This is what Hudson Taylor said, the great missionary to China. God is not looking for men of great faith. He's looking for common men to trust his great faithfulness. Isn't that good? God is not looking for men of great faith. He's looking for common men to trust his great faithfulness. God has saved us that we proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth for his glory. The question is not, do we go? The question is, where and to whom do we go? Let's pray. Father, Father, I pray we go. God, help us to go. God, fill us by the power of your Spirit that we go. We go local and we go global. Wherever it is that you would have us, may we be. May we not be worried about our abilities, our skills, about all the obstacles that can come our way, but God, may we just trust in your grace, the very grace that sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. May we trust in him. And just as he was sufficient to pay the penalty for all of our sins, may we know that he is sufficient to strengthen us every single day and to fill all of our deficiencies so that as we go, simply trusting in you, that God, you are faithful to use the gospel that we proclaim to save people from all nations, local and global. God, I pray wherever we are right now and whatever excuse, whatever objection we have, God, I pray you expose that sin in our hearts. You show where we struggle with unbelief. And God, you replace that with joy in you, with gladness. God, you replace that with the desire for your glory. God, give us a fresh vision of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. May may we be reminded of the truth that we have been saved by grace, not by our power, but by grace. And it's that grace that we proclaim that others would be saved also, that one day when you return, there would be people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every culture around your throne proclaiming holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who saves. God, may that be upon our lips now. May that be upon our lips for all of eternity. God, I pray that as we go from this moment and we go into even our fellowship in the time where, where the Hans will be sharing about, God, what you are doing in other parts of the world, I pray Use that testimony. Use the ministry of what you are doing in Cameroon through the Hans as also an additional means of grace, of encouraging us, of strengthening us, 
of moving us to understand, God, where you would have us serve also. God, may we not be content to hoard the blessings that you have given us, but may we desire to leverage them for your glory and for your glory to go to the nations. God, we praise you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, in your name. Amen.